Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and this week we welcome Jessica Bakeman, a reporter for WLRN Radio in Miami. She spent the past three years looking at the Jefferson County School District outside Tallahassee. It is the state's first and only all-charter school district taken over after it had severe financial and academic problems at the state's request. The state requested that it be taken over by the charter school And Somerset organization did so. That is an organization that is run by people who have connections to the state legislature. Now, it's a couple of years in, and Jessica spent a lot of time looking at it. We're going to jump right in and talk with her about what she's discovered and where she sees things headed. Jessica Bakeman, I want to thank you for taking some time from your busy radio schedule to talk to me on my little podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. You did some really cool reporting on Jefferson County Schools, which a lot of us don't even know where they are. So I just want to start off by asking you, basically, how did you find Jefferson County Schools and spend so much time working on what's what, 800 students in the middle of nowhere? Right. Well, uh, the middle of nowhere is one way to put it, or you could put it, you know, in the panhandle, about 25 miles east of Tallahassee. Um, Jefferson County is... Uh, adjoining to Tallahassee, it's what they call the Keystone County because um, it's the only county that touches both the Georgia border and the Gulf of Mexico. So if you're driving west through the panhandle, you can't avoid driving through it. Um, And I got interested in it because although it is uh, the state's smallest school district by enrollment um, and is a small county, only about 14,000 people live there and there's about 800 students in the public schools. Um, It really has been kind of a big deal for the state legislature and the Board of Education. They've spent a lot of time and a lot of attention on it. And that started about three years ago in the summer of 2016, when the State Board of Education had a series of discussions over a few months about, okay, what are we going to do about Jefferson County? The schools have been D's and F's for a very long time. And, you know, the turnaround plans that they've been doing haven't been working. So we need to get more aggressive and do something more aggressive. And so what they ended up happening, as you can find out from my story, which is a documentary and a series of stories on our website, I'll plug it, wlrn.org slash chartered, um, is the, the State Board of Education said, here are a few options and really nudged the district in the direction of one, which was to turn over the only two public schools in the district, uh, an elementary and a middle high school, to a charter school operator. So it became Florida's first all-charter school district. And the... Um, the company or the organization that took over is Somerset Academy, which is based in South Florida. It's affiliated with Academica, which is a a big and well-known charter school service provider in the state that is closely connected to current and former state lawmakers. And after that decision was made by the State Board of Education and then the, the Jefferson County School Board chose Somerset to take over, 
there was still ongoing discussion throughout the legislative session in 2017 about what to do about failing schools. And a lot of lawmakers pointed to Jefferson County and said, look, this school district failed for a long time. Now there's a charter school operator coming in. And they ended up doing the Schools of Hope program, which is, as you know, uh, is a policy that offers millions of dollars to charter school operators if they will open a school in a neighborhood where a traditional public school has failed for a long time or has recently closed. And Jefferson County ended up becoming the first school of hope and getting two and a quarter million dollars to help them in their, you know, Somerset, to help Somerset in their um, hope of trying to turn around that district. Now, didn't they get money even before that whole Schools of Hope project existed? Didn't they put something to the neighborhood of $4,000 per student additional in there, much to the consternation of some people who said, you know, why didn't we just do this for the public schools? Yeah, so I looked really closely at the finances for the traditional public school district in Jefferson County before the charter takeover and then what the... Uh, Somerset was able to get for Somerset Jefferson, this all-charter school district. And basically, there's a few things. So first of all, Somerset got a $2 million federal startup grant for charter schools in the first year. And then, as I mentioned, in the second year, the two and a quarter million of Schools of Hope funding. And although those amounts of money sound small when you're looking at bigger districts. When you think about fewer than 800 students, that money really goes a long way. There was also um, some special uh, help that the district got from the legislature in 2017 in the controversial House Bill 7069. Basically, there was a provision that applied only to Jefferson County, and it said for only one year, the school district can use construction funding or capital outlay funding instead to pay for personnel costs. And the reason they did that was because the school district had to fire about half of its teachers because Somerset had decided not to keep them going forward. And the school district owed those teachers their vacation time and sick time. And without that money, the charter school takeover may not have been possible given that the Jefferson County School District was in financial emergency and certainly couldn't afford to pay that. So that was another financial help. And then finally, the Somerset Academy Network, which is based in South Florida, loaned about $2 million to the schools in Somerset, I'm sorry, to the schools in Jefferson um, to help them kind of get everything off the ground. And, and they did some pretty pricey things to get started, like they did a bunch of renovations to the school district buildings. And, you know, they hiked teacher salaries to among the highest in the state. You know, they brought in some innovative programming. And so, yeah, those were all things that definitely people locally said, well, if we had access to this extra money, maybe we could have made a difference. But for what it's worth, some other people in the community I talked to, you know, even people who typically are not on the same side as Republican state lawmakers, like, for example, someone who is a representative of teachers unions in North Florida, um, you know, they said the situation with the school district, the superintendent and the school board was so dysfunctional for so long, they doubted even with extra money it would have been able to make a difference and that what the district really needed was cultural change. Let's talk about that because your story about the 
dysfunction, and that seems like the only word to describe it, was really interesting how you have people fighting amongst themselves over what I guess people would call adult things instead of focusing on the kid things. And how bad was it there? It sounds like it was really bad. I mean, I wasn't there, of course, for every single school board meeting for years. Um, but, you know, I talked to plenty of people who were and they said, you know, this community is really divided along racial lines. And that was something that, you know, I I showed in, in the documentary and in the stories that, you know, this is a North Florida, deep South community where the history is marred by slavery and sharecropping, Jim Crow, those kinds of dark racial historical markings. And that took a toll and it really does continue to play out in local politics and in race relations in the community, in the fact that the community remains starkly segregated. And the from, you know, several people I talked to who were white and black said that the school board was explicitly divided along racial lines, that white and black members of the school board and a series of white superintendents refused to work together over many years, which did not help as the county was facing a lot of the same economic woes that rural communities around the country face in terms of losing jobs and people moving out. And, you know, around that same time, there were some other schools that popped up um, for example, in 2001, uh, the Florida State University Lab School opened a campus in Southwood, which is a community uh, in Tallahassee that is uh, sort of closer to the Jefferson County border. And also in 2012, a governor's charter school popped up um, you know, near Tallahassee. And, and those schools and, and other public schools and private schools in Leon County, you know, drew students out of Jefferson County. So the more students that left, the less money there was. And from all accounts, the school district did a pretty terrible job of managing the money they did have. You know, they weren't really um, getting rid of staff in order to reflect the fact that they were losing students. And so the money was really stretched very thin. So in a way, though, they gave up their local control partially by fighting amongst themselves so that people ran away and then by agreeing with the state to give up what remained. Is this a lesson really about a dysfunctional community then? Or is it something that's bigger that the state really can take from it? Like if you're in Miami, I'm in Tampa and we're looking at little communities within a huge county. Do you see this more like as a, a microcosm or something that could be pressed onto a Miami-Dade County and take over the whole county and turn it all charter? Well, I think that there's both local and statewide and even national lessons in what happened in Jefferson County. So starting with local, like absolutely, there's no question that the, I mean, you can absolutely make the argument that the school district, you know, they they had such a hard time for so long. They mismanaged the district and were so dysfunctional for so long that the state really felt like they had no other option but to step in and do something. Otherwise, these fewer than 800 students would continue to not have any opportunity for a quality education and for their future. 
However, when you think about the fact that the Florida Constitution says school boards and superintendents have authority over the schools in their districts, and the Constitution gives the state the power of supervision and says basically the legislature can decide what that means, you know, however that is delineated in state law. And recently, in recent years, we've been seeing a continuous push from the State Board of Education and the Department of Education further and further into the operations of school districts. There have been in state law and in rules approved by the State Board of Education, you know, moves for the State Board of Education to be able to say, no, what you're doing is not working and we're going to take over. We're going to make it more likely that you're going to have to close your schools or turn your schools into charter schools. Um, You know, obviously, uh, now Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran, former House Speaker, said during a recent State Board of Education meeting, he would like to see the state have the ability to directly take over struggling schools if school districts aren't able to, you know, make the change themselves. And so I think we're absolutely going to see more of that going forward. I think that... um, it's right now there are no plans for another entire school district to get taken over. And again, to put it in perspective, Jefferson County was only two schools, fewer than 800 students. So that's a very small district. However, um, the Schools of Hope policy, which Jefferson County was the first beneficiary of, is now starting to take off. And we're absolutely going to see neighborhoods within bigger school districts start to be transformed by incoming charter schools And specifically in the context of, you know, the legislature saying we want charter schools to come into communities where traditional public schools have failed. And, you know, two KIPP schools have recently opened in the Liberty City community in Miami, and there's going to be more. They they plan to eventually enroll about 3,000 students. Um, the IDEA schools from Texas are coming into the Tampa Bay area. Their plans are to eventually have uh, 15,000 students enrolled in schools there um, across three counties. And they're also planning to go to Jacksonville. So that's just the beginning of Schools of Hope. We're going to see how that continues to develop. And the other thing to consider is that the reason the state was able to have so much control and so much power over Jefferson County was not only because they were in academic emergency, but also because they were in financial emergency. And that is an official status under state law that allows the state to take over the finances of a school district. And while that you know, has happened more recently with smaller school districts, Even in 2013-14, the Miami-Dade County Public School District, which is the largest in the state, qualified for financial emergency. So it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility that even a big school district could be subject to a lot more control from the state. And and as you mentioned, we have commissioners have changed since then. Pam Stewart sounded like she was pretty much pushing for a lot of things to happen in Jefferson County, but she was very calm and mild compared to the new commissioner, Richard Corcoran, who, as you mentioned, is putting forward a lot of rule changes to give the state board even more control over this statute that I hadn't read before that I think everybody needs to read now, 1008.32, which is state board oversight of school districts. I, I, I knew it was there, but only recently did I read it. And it gives them a little more leverage than we thought they had. Well, and I think that, you know, in terms of 
whether uh, Richard Corcoran is more or less aggressive than Pam Stewart. I mean, certainly his demeanor is such. (laughs) He was a very bold and outspoken and aggressive House Speaker. And I think we've continued to see that as he's been education commissioner, even with, you know, the situation in Palm Beach County where there was a principal who, you know, uh, refused to affirm that the Holocaust happened and the commissioner like personally got involved to say, we want to see an investigation or a firing or a reassignment of that principal. Um, but if you take a look at my story, uh, there's one in particular that that has a bunch of letters and emails and correspondence back and forth between former commissioner Pam Stewart and Marianne Arbulu, who is the current elected superintendent of Jefferson County. And it shows how really aggressive the Department of Education was behind the scenes, not only making the charter school takeover in Jefferson County happen, but also controlling the process. In many cases, the Department of Education stepped in to side with Somerset against, um, you know, the wishes of the Jefferson County local elected officials. And in one particular example, there was a situation where the uh, Pam Stewart and the Department of Education told the school district in Jefferson County, you have to turn over about $300,000 to Somerset. This was money that the school district had gotten as a reimbursement for meals already provided to students. So it was federal money for breakfasts and lunch. And the uh, State Department of Agriculture and the Federal Department of Agriculture both said that money rightfully belonged to the school district, which that amount of money, even though it sounds small, again, in the context of a small district like Jefferson County, would have been enough to bring Jefferson County out of the financial emergency, which would have had to make eventually the state step back. I mean, the district could have come out of financial emergency maybe two years sooner than they did, which they haven't yet, but they're about to probably soon. And um, that's really interesting because, you know, it just shows like the State Department of Education stepped in and said, no, you need to give that money to Somerset for the ongoing nutritional needs of the students when that was not what the agencies where the money came from were saying was supposed to happen. So there's a lot of things that are instructive in what you've reported. Like you said, these emails probably are super important and behind the scenes and you just got them by asking. And so sometimes all we need to do is ask, I guess, and learn a whole bunch of new material that we may not have ever known before. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> if nothing else, right? Well, thank you. And, and uh, you know, for some behind the scenes knowledge, I mean, there's more to do than just ask. And I know you know this, but um, it's pretty rare that you get like hundreds of pages of emails just by asking. I was negotiating with the Department of Education for many months to try to scale down the request to be something that, you know, I would be able to receive. And I ultimately got all of those documents as a combination from the school district and from the department. Um, and we paid some hundreds of dollars to get them as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it really, the Sunshine Law allows for uh, reporters and for the public to really see and read a lot if you're able to, you know, I guess, persevere and get the get what you're asking for ultimately. So one last thing, and then I'll let you do some more reporting, which is always what we love to do. Uh, after all is said and done, Money has shifted hands. Control has shifted hands. But this is all supposed to be about students. And like you said, those 800 students who didn't have very many options, did things improve for them? 
Great question. And um, the answer is yes for some of them. So the school district grades, as I mentioned before, previously were D's and F's for a long time. The test scores were abysmal and the graduation rates were low. And in the first two years, well, let's see, in the first year of the charter school takeover, all three, now the schools are organized as separate elementary, middle and high schools, and all three of them received C's for the first time in about a decade. Uh, State test scores jumped up, although still most students are failing math and English tests. But as you know, the school grade formula has part to do with improvement. So they saw so much improvement, it really helped to bring up those scores. And then in the second year, the um, middle and the high schools maintained their Cs. All of the elementary school actually dropped back down to a D, although it was very close to a C. So I think that we still have to keep watching to see if that academic improvement is something that's going to be maintained and something that could potentially continue to improve over time. Certainly, they came into a situation where these kids had been really behind. And so obviously, that kind of improvement can't necessarily happen overnight. But one of the important findings of the story is about how Somerset has handled discipline issues in Jefferson, which have been really severe for a long time as well. And Basically, some of the students uh, were assigned to what Somerset calls an alternative to expulsion. It's a 45-day program where students get a computer and a Wi-Fi device, and they're told to do their classes from home. So they're enrolled in a virtual education program. And we spoke to some students who were assigned to that, and, and two of them in particular who They said and their families said that after 45 days, they were trying to go back to school and that Somerset Jefferson would not allow them to return. Somerset says they can't comment on this because of federal laws that protect students' privacy. Um, But unfortunately for those students, they are now in jail on charges, unrelated charges of armed robbery and attempted murder. So, you know, it's a complicated story in terms of whether this is working out for the students there. I think uh, what we say in our story is that it's been transformational for many students and disastrous for a few. And I think that is borne out in the reporting. Well, it was really great bunch of stories and uh, and an audio report documentary package on your website. And go ahead and tell us again where we can find it all. It's wlrn.org slash chartered. And I'm going to say everybody should read and or listen or both, both probably, because it's worth it. Thank you, Jessica, for taking the time to talk with us and share. Thanks so much, Jeff. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to share your views on this subject, please go to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Bay Times Gradebook, where the podcast will be posted and you can put your comments right underneath. To keep up in the latest Florida education breaking news, keep visiting our blog, The Gradebook, at www.tampabay.com gradebook. And if you have any ideas for what you'd like to hear on this podcast going forward, please let us know. You can put it in your review where you find your podcasts, or you can send me an email, jsolacek at tampabay.com. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks so much for listening. 